Do I get to press the big red button and play the music? No, we haven't got that. Oh. I'll have to edit that in later. Yeah. I can... Well, I can press the button now, can't I? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Can <laughs> I press the button and start the music? <laughs> Go on, then. Okay. Is it this one? This one. Okay. Welcome to the Emotional Web Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And if you haven't guessed already, today's guest is with me live, uh, and it's going to make for a fun conversation today. Uh, so we are talking about emotion at work in uh, community management. So we're looking at it from a couple of different perspectives. Partly looking at what is uh, what is emotion, what emotions are do we think are present in um, online communities, but also what does that then mean for uh, the role of a community manager within that kind of space so enough about me anyway let's get our guest on the air even though technically he's sneakily been on the air already so let's welcome to the emotional work podcast mr ad house good morning hey up. morning hey up. Hey up. <laughs> now just for you listeners what uh, i don't know if ad does know this he's um stored in my phone as ad the man house oh very nice because okay. he is the man <laughs> when it comes to anything kind of digital community based um sorry mike um, but anything, yeah, digital and community based. Then AD, uh, AD is the man. So, yeah, thank you. Welcome, the man, AD, the man. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. No, I'm pleased to have you here. So, uh, as always with the Emotional World Podcast, we open with a innocuous yet unexpected question, and um, this one has been prompted by a conversation I had with Suk Pabial uh, last Friday, where he was talking about his trip to America. And uh, we were talking about the cost of things. And one thing he mentioned was tips. So my question this week is, what makes you tip? Oh, good question. I like tipping. You like tipping? I like tipping, yeah. I like tipping. And I don't think we do that enough, certainly in the UK. Okay. Um, And, of course, there's been lots of press around how tips are distributed, haven't there? Where where the companies take their slice of that. And it's nice to see that working in the workers' favour. What makes me tip? I think... I I think just the the expected level of service... Okay. ...is is good to have. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's fair to say, sadly, that's lacking... Okay. ...in lots of places. So just to have that expected service... And and just for people to be kind of attentive and, and just noticing the stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we went out for a meal last Friday and the people there were lovely and they weren't in your face uh, as in sort of checking everything's yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah, when yeah. you've got your mouth full of food and that. But they were really attentive. Do you attentive. reckon they time that purposely, though? I think they do. If we have any waiting staff listening to the podcast, can you let me know? Do you deliberately time it? <laughs> that when you ask people if the meal is okay, do you think, ah, they're just about to put in a mouthful of food? Now is the time to arrive. Maybe that's how they avoid complaints. I, well, I do want, yeah, genuinely, <laughs> that has crossed my mind. Um, you know, because so often it happens that just as I put in a mouthful of food, I get asked, how's everything with the burger? <laughs> Whilst raising, you know, sort of doing a thumbs up and going and nodding my head um, because it, it reduces the chances of me see anything, saying anything but yes. Um, I suppose if you're eating, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's true. If you yeah. sat there not eating, then they clearly yeah, know yeah, something's yeah. wrong and, yeah. and, and perhaps avoid you. Yeah, that's true. Now, I broke one of my rules because I interrupted you then. So um, you were saying they were attentive 
but not in your face asking how the food was all the time. That's it, yeah, that's, that's it. So I'm, I'm easily pleased. You know, the, these guys and girls were incredibly hard. So, so just the the basic level of service, yeah. courtesy, yeah. you know, just being right with you, being a good human being. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's enough for me. Okay. Um, and does the, um, does the quality of the food matter? Or is it just a, is the tip just related to the service? So I tip in relation to the service. Okay. But I think I think if food is is crap, then that would have an impact. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. All right. And actually you tip in the waiting staff, you never tip the chef, do you? No. You know, the people that are working in the kitchen, you you know, you never get a chance to say thank you to them. Mm. Mm, the unsung hero. The unsung hero. So um I, I'm similar in that um, I don't need to be wowed to tip if um, and I think part of that is um, about that you know, often waiting staff are a, a minimum wage or, or or there or thereabouts which may be an unfair thing to, to guess but that would be my guess um, and the because it's me and I always think about this stuff the amount of emotional labour that the waiting staff have to do is extraordinary, yeah? So you you can't... Because, for example, having a grumpy waiter or waitress or grumpy member of the waiting team um, often would mean that people are less likely to tip, I would wager. Um, now, if you knew why they were grumpy or if they were grumpy about something that you were also grumpy about, then maybe. But, in turn, but, the gen- but generally, they have to put on a really positive, happy supportive listening attentive demeanor even though that may not be in any way shape or form how they're feeling so they might be having a rubbish you know the chef might have shouted at them they might be rushed off their feet but they can't show that so the amount of work they've got to do to give you that experience which is in line with what you expect yeah they're on stage yeah absolutely yeah yeah and and so um that um so because they have to work hard in that way so not only have they got the physical exertions of walking, being on their feet, all of the service shift, um, carrying the food, you know, carrying the empty plates away, the embarrassment of dropping something on the floor and everybody going, um, and all of that stuff. <laughs> They've also got all the emotional labour bit to do as well. So it, it, similar to you, it doesn't take much for me to to, to say, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll give them a tip. Um, but the, the speaking to the chef bit, that's something that I do and it quite annoys my wife. So I annoy my wife in two ways when we go out to eat. So one is I'll ask the waiting staff what they think I should eat. Okay, yeah. And that annoys the shit out of her. <laughs> so she's like, Phil, just you, they, they don't know you. They've never met you before. They don't know what you like. And I'm like, no, but they know their food better than I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so they could either ask me a few questions to try and work out what I like and then I can try and narrow it down for them and they could recommend. Or it might be that the chef is saying to them, push this dish or you know they might just have something they really enjoy and I, I want to know what they think of the food that they serve yeah because you know that's they're, they're, you know, they serve it every day so they know it a lot better than I do most stuff that goes out of date tomorrow oh absolutely but if it needs to be used up and the chef's saying right push this dish because we've got a load of it in the kitchen I, I don't mind why they're pushing the dish and if I don't want it then I won't order it but yeah, sure. I want to know what they think but the second thing I'll do is um, I will often either ask the waiting staff to pass on my thanks to the chef or I will ask to speak to the chef. And that gets an interesting reaction because sometimes the the default 
kind of response. Not that well, that's not maybe that's not fair, but more often than not, the response is concern. So it's it's anxiety or worry about the fact that I want to speak to the chef, and invariably it's because I want to thank them for some amazing food. Um, but I find it interesting that. So when you ask to speak to a manager at a call centre or in a store, the default is that there's, there's something wrong because you wouldn't ask to speak to the manager if, there, if something was going wrong. Yeah, around. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so so I, I like to make an effort where the food has been particularly good. I like to make an effort to to thank and appreciate the chef for, for the work that they've been because like you said, you know, they, they're, they're behind the scenes. Um, yeah, not necessarily known or... Um, or, talk, or interacting with the customers that often necessarily. Yeah, that's it, yeah. 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 Right, we're suitably hungry. Yeah, that's a you good did, point. You did this with Joe the other week, <laughs> didn't you? Talking about toast. <laughs> I did, I did. Shameless plug for episode 30, I think. It was, was it yeah. 30? I, uh, I can't remember. Joe Wainwright, lovely, yeah, lovely, 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 lovely lady. Yeah. Um, yes, we did talk about toast. We did. The Foodie Emotion at Work podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also, you know, fair listener, if you run an eating establishment, I am always available for, you know, you now have a basic requirement for getting tips. So just get in touch, let me know, me, invite me and AD along to your uh, to your eating establishment, and you you know that if you just do enough, then you're going to yeah. get a good tip. <laughs> Easily pleased. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we're we're talking then about emotion at work in uh, in communities now, and I suppose you know do I in a shameless plug slash openness and honesty aspect, um, I've just launched a uh, a hub or what I'm calling a hub because I didn't want to call it a community, um, and we're we're doing well, so we're up to sixty two um, people that are in the hub. Very good, um, and they. They are clearly accessing content because I can see from the you know snooping Google Analytics stuff. I can see what pages people have been on. I can see that they're accessing and, and you know they're, they're, there's certainly some value in the content that they're finding. Um, but what I'm also finding is even though I've prompted on different ways in different channels for people to take part in the discussion forum, that is proving a more challenging task to uh, to achieve. And as somebody who's run a number of communities, is that something that is common, or is that? Am I, should I just be worried that um, people aren't engaging in the, in the forum that I've created? I, I think it is common. Okay. I, I think it is common. Probably, you know, we talk about communities as an online thing, but there's there's communities offline, isn't there? And, yeah, absolutely. You know, have been for thousands of years, and so I think there's a couple of things really. I think firstly, there's the time issue. Okay. So. There's lots of communities out there. Nothing, obviously, as good as the the hub, the emotion at work. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All the um, DPG, all the DPG community. <laughs> oh, cracky, yeah. <laughs> Very quickly get that one in as well, yeah. I mean, I mean, these are two wonderful communities, and there yeah. are lots of communities out there. And, you know, I, I love the DPG community. It's it, it's big, it's vibrant, it's mm. long-standing. There's a lot of people on there. Um, but you are still competing for time. That set aside... I think there is some emotion around mm. getting involved in communities. Um, you know, if we think, first of all, away from online communities, yeah, yeah. if you're in a, a room with a bunch of people, there are going to be people within that room that are going to lack confidence or worry about how they come across, what they say, and that sort of stuff. 
that online is the same but probably a bit more in that when you contribute to an online community if you write something down there's a permanent record of that yep. or I'd love to see people sharing videos on community more mm. but that's a whole different level of confidence you've you've not only got your words but you've got your face your identity yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff so, so there's something within that in that I think I think fear is the word, it's which is a big word because it is lowest level. It's it's not really fear. It's just yeah, it's nervousness know, or anxiety. Yeah, or, that, yeah that that's yeah. it. But I do wonder whether at the opposite end of the scale, there are people out there that fear contributing online as much as they would do spiders. Yeah, okay. or public speaking. Yeah, yeah, better yeah. example. No, well, I think uh, you know any I, either of those are, are, are good. One of the favourite words I learned a few years ago um, was uh, ephemeral. Wonderful. And I love it because it just sounds amazing. Um, it's got a lovely kind of tone with it. But it's the, the idea that in speech, so not not what we're doing because we're recording it, but in everyday speech, your words are ephemeral. What that means is that they disappear. So you, you talked about it earlier, they, they disappear. You can say something, and unless it is actually recorded, there's always there can always be some some wriggle room as to what you actually said. Yeah. Somebody might say, oh yeah, but you said this AD. And you might say, well, I didn't actually say that. I said this, which is slightly similar. And then we get into, you know, memory and accuracy of memory and all that sort of stuff. And we won't go there today. Uh, If you want that, by the way, listeners, then you need to go back to the Sook Pabial and uh, Nick Shackleton Jones episode. But anyway, that's a whole other uh, story. But the, the, the making it permanent bit, I think is really relevant because... Um, you you can't then go back and so you, you can take it away and that you can delete it um, you can also edit it in most forums but what I find interesting is and I, maybe it's not a fair comparison but we're talking about kind of closed communities communities where you are registering or you're, you're kind of signing up to be part of it but as you said there are also other communities that exist and for example Twitter is a is a very vibrant community and anonymization on, on there, in a way, reduces the filters that people apply to words that they make permanent. You know, there's so many stories of celebrities who have, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, however many years ago it was, tweeted particular things or views on topics that is, is permanent and then gets kind of pulled back out and played back. Yeah, and, then affects and it's stuck their, with them, isn't and it? And it's stuck with them, yeah. absolutely. But then you also have others that are anonymous online who kind of chuck out some of the most horrible stuff in terms of, you know, abuse or threats of abuse or threats of violence or insults or, you know, all sorts of stuff, which is done. And and that record is permanent, but it's not attributed to that individual because there is an anonymous identity that sits behind it. There's a fake avatar and a fake name. And it's whilst Twitter could maybe find out who's behind it because you've got to give your details when you log in when you do that actually the only thing that needs to be genuinely linked to something is an email address and you can then hide that through other means as well if you needed to so if you wanted to be anonymous online you kind of can really yeah. um so i don't really know i don't quite know where i'm going but I, I guess what i'm trying to pull apart is that even online you can have two extremes where somebody may be that anxious of contributing because they don't want they're they're worried about 
could could my written you know imprinted forever contribution come back and bite me in the ass at some point in the future and then you have the complete other end of the spectrum where there is no censorship at all with what somebody's contributing and actually you know could be construed as um you know potentially a hate crime yeah so sure. you know yeah. it's yeah uh, and i find that that contrast within within online a fascinating area yeah yeah certainly and i watched your video in iceland mm-hmm. uh, the country rather than the shop, than the shop. <laughs> yeah. i was again a, pro- a, a deep fried program <laughs> yeah. yeah and so your strategy of being heard uh, mm-hmm. in a safe space yeah and allowing people to move on that safe space is really important, I mm. think, within a community. And I don't think you create rules. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think you have a rule book, but you do you do as a community manager influence a culture where it's where it's okay to, to contribute. Yeah. And you you know, it was Mike Collins that set up the D V G community as you know. Yeah. a uh, good friend of ours. Yeah. And I remember sort of joining that community and Having stuff that I didn't believe was just of any interest to anybody. Okay, as in you know, what stuff you wanted to say? Well, stuff that I didn't necessarily want to say. Stuff that you know I wasn't bothered about saying because I, I didn't think it was of interest. Yeah, okay. And I can remember a conversation with Mike, and we were talking about storyboarding. Mm. I was working with a, a, a an e-learning company that do real cool animations like Pixar mm. quality animations. And a lot of that involved storyboarding. And, and he was saying to me, this is really interesting stuff. And more and more people are getting into this idea of storyboarding, either for a video yeah. or a learning event and things like that. And I, I just didn't, it didn't compute with me that that would have been of interest to people. Mm. So creating that culture around it's good to share, it's okay to share and uh, and actually the stuff that you're working on is helpful to others was enough for me to to start getting involved yeah and then so the dpg community is centered around the cipd programs that we do yeah um and of course the cipd profession map has those behaviors one of which is courage to challenge yeah so it's actually okay to go out with stuff that um that isn't correct mm-hmm. you know because there's some challenge that you can have around that and it's it's okay to challenge others and it's okay to be challenged you know you, you don't go down the threats or the, yeah, the yeah. bullying or harassment yeah. and actually you won't want to be part of that sort of community anyway mm. um, so I think what you do as a community manager and the way that you behave mm. and the way that you listen to people and you pick up on these stories and you say to people, wow, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that mm. is, is the sto- sort of stuff that I think helps people to contribute. And it's not, there's, there's that old thing of if you build it, people might not come. Mm. So your hub emotion at work community yeah. is, um, it, it's quite new and there's that need to sort of generate momentum and things like that. But that never stops. That okay. never stops with the DPG community. If I, so I, I've had to give it. I've been up early this morning, giving it some love. Yeah. Uh, getting the community update ready and just joining in some of the conversations because I've been out of the business for a few days. Yeah. So 
just being away, it already feels a bit neglected and sometimes you need to get back in there mm. and, and respond to people because there's nothing worse than writing something or commenting some, on, on something and then not having anything back. Yeah. That, that doesn't help people with their, their confidence at all. Mm. And is that because it's interpreted as that was uh, irrelevant or it wasn't useful or, you know, it wasn't good because people didn't engage with it? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, the, the mind works wonders, doesn't it? I'm yeah, it reading does. into to why that could be. Yeah, because, you know, so if we think about fear as an emotion, um, gem, you know, it's about um, when we perceive a threat of harm. Now, um, that that threat of harm is as much to our psychological self and our sense of identity and who we are as it is about our physical self. So if we, um, so that's one thing. So that's so in terms of uh, like triggers for fear, then um, what the research would suggest is that when we've analysed what um, people describe as reasons that they get scared, it's because they they've perceived a threat of harm in some way, whether that be to their um, physical self or their psychological self. What that links in with then is that emotions can be kind of triggered by stuff that is real. So actually you know, th- things that are physically happening in the world around you. Yeah. But they can also be triggered by stuff that's imagined. But they can also be triggered by stuff that's relived. So, and what potentially we're talking about there then is the, is the second one of those three, which is about the imagined stuff. That if the, if the narrative is, um, I've posted this, nobody's replied therefore i look stupid yeah because i posted something that nobody's engaging with so um again in a at the risk of it being a shameless plug and that's not my intent my intent is to share it as an example so when when i first put the hub online i i immediately started a discussion around what emotions are okay to show in the workplace and of the 62 amazing people that are on the hub one has replied and and within me, then there was a war. Uh, well, that was a really useful topic, then, wasn't it? <laughs> that went down well. Um, you know, as, a, as trying to rationalise away my kind of concerns about um, whether I chose, you know, did I choose the right topic? Have I made myself look stupid? Have I, you know, tried to make? Have I tried to make a point that actually nobody that isn't relevant and nobody uh, is interested in? And there's lots of, you know, I can then do some more self-talk to rationalise away that actually, no, it's all all right, but that doesn't stop the thoughts running about, you know, why is nobody engaging with that? Um, You know, have I made myself look stupid? Have I made myself look daft? Have I, um, yeah, have I done something wrong? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of work and effort in there as as an author in writing stuff, putting stuff out there, Mm. thinking about what people are interested in and things like that. It's when you, it's like when you see you know somebody speaking on a stage at a conference i think sometimes we take for granted what what incredible work goes into that mm. and you know the, the the roller coaster of things that are going on in the speaker's mind yeah and it's the same on communities people look, put a lot of effort in we see a lot of our cipd participants that have obviously sat down for a good chunk of time to think about and write about something um, so it's okay to lurk and it's okay to consume this stuff but I think actually we just need to step out and get involved as well mm. even if that's just tipping the author yeah. if you like just by saying thank you yeah. or 
you know, I really appreciate this. Nice. Or I love this about it. Nice link. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have more tips. Should have. We should tip more often. That's it. Yeah. No, I like that. And we're not just doing the average stuff. We're going over and above. Not <laughs> <laughs> just doing the basic requirements. That's it. Yeah. So as a uh, as a community manager, then, um, what strategies or what what techniques do you use to to encourage that? contribution then or to encourage people to contribute how what yeah what do, what do you do to try and get back that, that you, you described how the dpg community is vibrant yet still needs attention so how do you kind of continue that vibrancy what is it that you do so the first thing i do when somebody joins the community is i connect with them mm. as, as in send them a personal email okay yeah, yeah and say hi i'm ad welcome and that sort of stuff yeah um i'd love to say i've got the commitment to do that manually but that is an automated process, okay. and I don't mind admitting that. Yeah. And the reason I don't mind admitting that is it. So that's triggered automatically. Yeah. yeah. But that that's where it stops. The minute somebody replies to that, they're replying to me personally. Yeah. Okay. So I don't hide behind a community email address or anything like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I use my own email address, so that people get that automated message. And of course, I couldn't keep up with, you know, hundreds of people joining mm. doing that manually. But what's lovely is people reply to that and straight away you've got a conversation going. Yeah, okay. And I'm genuinely interested in why people are joining that community. Um, you know, are they on a programme? Yeah. Uh, or have they just stumbled across the community? Because anybody can join it. It's free. Mm. It's publicly available. Have they just stumbled across it? You know, are they, are they thinking about their next steps of development? Are they already on a journey? So I genuinely want to find out about people. Mm. And I get some really interesting stories as well. Um, talking to a, a guy recently who is leaving the armed forces, okay, and and as part of his resettlement, is moving into the field of L and D. I had to think there because there's another person that's going into the field of HR, and okay. that you know yeah. I find that stuff interesting. So straight away they've got a connection, and then what I try and do is kind of link in what they tell me. Um to some tips around how to get the most out of stuff. Yeah, okay. So if they're into the field of HR, then I'll point them in the HR zone. Yeah. Um, you know, some people might tell me that they're working on a particular project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's always a blog or a video or a discussion mm. that's there to help them with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for some people, it's like, right, we've never come across that on the community. Why Why don't we get a discussion going? Yeah. Um. And some of that is about the tech. So how do we actually do that? What buttons do we click on? Mm. What do we type in? How do we get a discussion going? But a lot of that is the stuff around culture. Mm. Actually letting people know that that's, that's kind of something that they should do. That's how mm. it works around here. Yeah. And when we design communities, we put immense amounts of thought into the, the tech, yeah. the platform, the design, the functionality, the user experience. But... I think we often miss the idea of putting thought into just the people stuff. Mm. You know, how do you drive those behaviours? What behaviours are you looking for? And how do you drive those? If you're looking for people to contribute, then that's kind of what you want to be influencing. Yeah. And, and just to continue with that, if I may then, so what kind of behaviours do you try and encourage through the DPG community then? So we want conversation. Okay. And I love conversation. You, you know, in terms of content, 
I'm, I'm never really short of content. Mm. You know, if there is no conversation on there, and, you know, there have been weeks, if you take summer holidays, for example, yeah, uh, there's no content on there, you know, people are on holidays, there's not much conversation. There's always content within the HR and L&D world. Yeah. New piece of research, new video, an event, whatever it is. Um, but I'd much, much rather send out the community updates that are summarising conversations mm. that are happening. So... That is the behaviour. It's it's you want people to converse. You want people to discuss. So when, for example, I write an article, yeah, you know, at the bottom of that article, it's you know, what do you think about this? What's your experience? How mm. how does this work in your organisation? And get people to to have a dialogue. And it doesn't matter how many that is. You know, if I get one reply and one person talking about something, then that's that's the box ticked. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, if you get a few people piling in or, or 20, 30 people joining a discussion, then even better. You know, you're then into a point that, you know, perhaps you build a group around that topic mm. if there's that many. Yeah, so that was one of the reasons, um, I'm going to link that to one of the reasons that I set up the hub in that. Um, so one of the things that, I guess I struggle with with some communities is then they're, they're not niche enough for me. Um, so if you go into an L and D community, or you know, so if, so uh, if I pick on one that we're both familiar with, then so if I think about the DPG community, because it is broadly about learning and development and HR. If I want to find something about a particular topic, whilst I know content is tagged and so on, actually if I really wanted to take a deep dive into something in particular, whilst there might be some subgroups set up, so I know you've got like a Kirkpatrick group for people that are interested in evaluation and you've got the HR zone, you've got the learning zone and stuff like that. But the, but for, for, for the topic that I'm interested in then, and I think a lot of practitioners are interested in, which is the role of emotion in the workplace, because there is such a strong kind of call about call to action within the profession about being more people centered about putting the you know, humans back in the workplace and all of that sort of stuff um the reason i put the hub together was because i thought well there's nowhere to go for that right now if you want to do that you've got to go to a big broad community and try and find it yeah and um, you got to try and find, you know, got you got to then you've got to go and do the searching and what i wanted to do was to put something together that had done a lot of that stuff for you that you know so it was a community that was really specific and niche about what what we then talk about in it now I would argue that emotion actually is a and then he dropped the f bomb then <laughs> um, is a really massive topic. So actually, you could you could still have multiple sub groups or sub communities within the topic of emotion. But I think it's one of those where the funnel is massive in learning or HR. So I'm trying to make it more specific in emotion, and then it could be even more niche again. But the um, yeah yeah. So I think that that's that. <clears throat> making the conversations um, about a really specific topic is, yeah, where I wanted to go, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah, see, like say on, so the DPG community is massive, a lot of corners. If you take, uh, you know, just HR as a topic, that's that's massive. Mm. Um, so chunking things down, signposting things, you know, having some good search features and, and, and that sort of stuff is is a key thing to do but you find you, you find sub pockets of a community so it 
you know, forget about the online stuff. If you think about, you know, just a village community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, within that, you've got um, people that have a connection because the kids are at the same school. Yeah. Uh, you have people that have a connection that are interested in the football team mm. or people that use the particular pub yeah. or, you know, the business people in the area, whatever it is. So there's all these sub-communities. Sometimes they overlap. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're independent. So I'm less involved in the football community and probably more involved in the pub community <laughs> as, a, as an example. So you're right to divide things up a bit and not see... So if I took the 8,500 people on the DPG community, that's massive. That is massive. But then within that, there's pockets of people that are interested in different stuff, mm. people that work with charities, people that work with... I don't know technology people that are interested in recruitment so you can form these little pockets of communities mm. within a community yeah yeah there was a there was a book that was recommended to me by uh, Joe Cook who goes by at Lightbulb Joe on Twitter and I'm looking over my bookshelf now for it so it's called Buzzing Communities um, by oh I can't see the one moment listeners Millington is it Richard Millington. Richard Millington. Um, yeah, as always, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, uh, so yeah, Buzzing Communities by Richard Millington. And it is really interesting um, reading about the um, the evolution of communities from you know being maybe broad to being more niche or... Um, the 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 way the conversation evolves over time, or the way the conversation changes over time, and then how, as the community manager, do you bring people with you on that? How do you bring your community members? Um, yeah, how how do you bring them with you? Because the the level of engagement or participation may change over time. Yeah, certainly. Well, yeah, because we spoke about building a community and getting people involved and creating that snowball but I'm also saying that's a continuous effort yeah but when you start a community for the first time it's worth having a look at something called the diffusion of innovation theory okay I will add that to the show notes as well fantastic so what you've got in there is typical bell curve where you introduce a piece of innovation and you get the early adopters so these are the people that grab hold of the the idea and they just run with it. They're first to get involved. They're very excited. They want to try and know stuff. They want to experiment, all of those sorts of stuff. Um, and they're kind of in the minority. They come along initially and probably get involved in the community. And then later on, you'll start to get the masses mm. twigging on. Yeah. And, and you'll start to get the rest of the uh, population. You get those that kind of click on as soon as something happens and then the early majority that kind of follows from that yeah uh, and then you get a few more that join the party and then right at the very end of that you've got the last to join the party which is the laggards mm. now these i need to be careful that i don't stereotype these people because there's many many reasons why people would leave something and be the last one to come along and take a look. Mm. You know, we mentioned time before. Yeah. And competing for time, that might be the reason. 
Um, dare I say that there's some laggards out there that just stick their heels in the ground and, and they're just resistant to change. They're not interested. Why mm. Why have we got this thing? Why do we need it? You know, we're doing okay as we are. Yeah. Why, why have you built an online community? Why can't we just talk to each other face-to-face mm. or, you know, pop for a brew and have a chat? And there's different emotions at those ends of the scale. So at one end of the scale, you've got the excited individuals that are really keen and they can see it and they get it yeah. and they see the big picture. But then at the other end of the scale, you've got those that are perhaps not interested, don't see the point, you know, what a waste of time, what a waste yeah. of money, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So you've got competing emotions there. And do you think you could... Um I guess even though for somebody like the, if those were, and again, risking stereotyping. So we've got, if those, those in the early adopters camp, by the time, by the, by the time you get to the point where the laggards are coming to play, actually you may have lost the innovators or the early adopters to something else or something new or something different. Um, So what, that energy and enthusiasm that they might have brought at the beginning, um, it might be there from the early majority or the late majority still. So they might still have, you know, the energy enthusiasm might be there. But actually you might have lost the innovators and the early adopters off to diff- off to something new and something different by then. Yeah, potentially. They've certainly left a big mark, haven't they? Yeah. They've left a big mark. and So, so there is thinking about how you keep hold of those people. And may- maybe that's about the level of involvement that they've got. Um maybe that's thinking almost like getting them to think like a community manager hmm and, and that's something that um, Richard Milliton talks about in his book he talks about uh, the role the importance of the role of volunteers in in maintaining that snowball type effect you know in terms of um, whether you uh, and, and I've, I've been involved in different guises in different organizations in my time about you know when they're trying to create online communities sometimes they're actually no that's a lie sorry i've been involved in different guises in different times where organizations are trying to create communities they could be online they could be physical um and they might be called brand champions or ambassadors or um other kind of uh, titles that they're given, but they're, raving they're, fans. Raving fans. There you go. That's a good one. But that's what I mean. But you, yeah, you got you got you got people whose whose job isn't to make this happen, but because of their passion and their involvement and their you know, their engagement in it, you ask them to take on an additional role. For want of a better phrase, as, as someone who yeah champions and ambassadors and but is a raving fan about whatever that community is, whether it's online or. Um, or physical I, I suppose well yeah thinking about my experience that really works mm. so thinking back many years ago I was a customer of DPG mm. and a user of the community and as I've said Mike Collins was really helpful in just getting me over the hurdle of getting started getting involved mm. and that sort of stuff and I, I was probably one of those early adopters innovators and then it was a few years ago that uh, DPG kindly took me to a conference. Yeah, okay. It was the CIPD's L&D show, which next year is called the Festival of Work. Is it really? It is, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So it's the same date, same place, same pub across the road. 
Uh, but yeah, Festival of Wit. And so back in the days it was L&D show. Uh, DPG kindly took me down and gave me a conference ticket, which was lovely. Yeah. Got me into some of the sessions in exchange for writing some blogs and mm. some articles and, yeah. and covering the event. Ticks both boxes. I got, you know, immense value from that. Yeah. That's kind of where I got to meet the Twitter crew mm-hmm. and the wider L&D circle. Yeah. And in return, you know, for the community, we've got some good content on there. And getting getting that sort of stuff done is, is important. And I think the early adopters are, if you, if you think peer-to-peer influence, yeah. your innovators, early adopters are the people that can share their story with the people at the opposite end of the bell curve, the laggards. Yeah. So if you can get testimonies from people, and it needs to be a bit more than, you know, how great the Emotion at Work hub is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs to be practically, how has this impacted on your professional life? Hmm. So we're, we're talking uh, open, uh, openly, that's not the right word. We're talking the communities that are the topics of what we're discussing so far have both been work-related but not workplace-specific. Um, and, and I'm wondering, slash guessing, that our listeners will be working not all of them universally but they'll be working in organizations where they might be wanting to create communities within those organizations again they could be um a virtual or, or physical communities um and in my experience of being in the workplace that is a notoriously tricky thing to do um because it comes with I think it comes with different identity aspects to it. Now, we all know, as regular listeners of the podcast will know, we, we know I'm fascinated with identity. We know I'm fascinated with face and face work. So, we, so that's, that's, where I'm, that's my starting point, and we, we know that. But the, if, if, I, um, if I'm working in Organisation A, and I'm part of the DPG community or the Emotional Work Hub, um, there may be other people from my organisation in it, but if they are, they're likely to be from the similar HR learning, organisational development type team. Yeah. Um, but if I'm part of a community within my organisation, then I am exposing myself to people that know me. I was going to say intimately, and I don't know if that's the right word, but I can think of a different one, so I've gone with that. But the I wonder if the the identity risks are higher in a within workplace community because if you did post something that people could interpret in a in a way that could make you look like a brown nose that could make you look like a uh, keener as we would say in Bristol yeah. with the Bristolian keener <laughs> accent that would go with it um, or could make you look you know disenfranchised or you know or whatever but I wonder if in the workplace is it even trickier? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I feel like the answer is yes, but I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, in a, in a similar vein, I've come across at a very senior level mm. fears 
genuine fears around online communities. Okay, tell me about that. Um, so I've worked with organisations that want to kind of move forward in the way that organisational learning happens, knowledge mm. sharing, collaborating, communication, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the, you know, thinking about one particular organisation that was spread geographically up and down the UK and beyond, an online community made sense. Yeah. But from a very senior level, HR director level, I'm worried about what people are going to say, how people are going to interact, what if they say the wrong thing to each other, what if they share bad practice, and all of that sort of stuff. And it's quite interesting, really, when you've got that view, because my response to that is, if you forget about online, forget about digital, communities already exist. So Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So if we pretend there's no such thing as the internet, computers were never invented, communities already exist. There are pockets of people within, I don't know, smoking shelters, cafes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. side of the water cooler, in the pub after work, and they're already talking about stuff. So if they're going to share the wrong stuff, they're, they're already doing that anyway. Yeah. The benefit of having a community, certainly an online community, is you've got visibility of that. And that shouldn't be used in a policeman approach. Yeah, you shouldn't then chastise people for yeah, yeah, yeah. for saying the wrong thing because you wouldn't do that in the other settings anyway. But you can use that as an opportunity to influence the conversation in the right way. Mm. So if if people are talking about a process that isn't correct, then there's a chance there to to re-educate them. Whereas, unless you appear in the smoking shelter every time people yeah, go yeah, for yeah. a fag. Or, or actually put some rules in that prevent them from having those conversations. That doesn't happen, does it? No, no, it doesn't at all. And so I don't know if it's the same or not, but I'm, I'm linking it together, so therefore I'm making it the same. Um, so when people talk to me about Twitter, as an example, why do you do that? You know, why do you get involved in that? You know, why are you on there? So there's a whole great, there's a whole great big massive conversation happening about stuff to do with what I'm interested in and I can either go and be part of it and know about it and engage with it or I can not um, and, and I think about that similar to what you were saying for the workplace and that these conversations are happening anyway you know people are moaning about the um, yeah moaning about a process or moaning about a change or, or um, saying how frustrated they are by X or Y or how they wish that A or B could happen and if that online community is in that safe space, you know, that, that place that is free from judgment and um, then as an organization, you would, I, I, if I was, if it was my organization, I would want to know about those things because then I can do something about it. Otherwise all of these feelings and all of these views and opinions and stuff are happening. But um, I don't know. And I can't do anything about it. You know, there's a classic thing that's being taught, that's been kind of touted around on social media at the minute, which I think is a load of bunkum, but it seems to be going down well, which is the, like the, the board know 10% of the organization's problems, the middle management know 30% of the organization's problems and the, the frontline operators 
you know, the, the, your, the, the employees that are at the front line, for want of a better phrase, they know 100% of the organization's problems. And the issue is that they, the sharing of those problems up the chain. Now, I think those ratios are probably bunkum. But the, that idea that actually you, the higher up an organizational hierarchy you go, the more insulated you become to the reality of day-to-day life. That stacks up for me. Yeah. And if then you have a, a community where people can talk about those everyday issues and problems and challenges that they're facing, that then equips you and allows you to do something about that um, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily normally do. And it's back to that point on, you know, the behaviours we want to drive yeah, yeah. Is, is we want people to contribute, we want people to discuss. So actually the fact that they've taken time to do that, we should we should never be, you know, picking up on what people have said or how they've said it. You know, the fact that they've said it is is, is just good enough. Yeah. You know, and a, a, actually if we start sort of saying to people, oh, you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't say this or you shouldn't say it, that has the reverse effect, doesn't it? Yeah. Of quashing people and then you think, well, you know, I had a go at contributing before. But it wasn't good enough, so I'm not going to bother anymore. Mm. You know, it's very easy to to quash things. So, I think that leadership culture within the organisation, because that was a question, wasn't it? Around is it more difficult in the workplace yeah, yeah. than it is outside? And the the answer to that question is probably yes, it is. So that then begs some questions around what's the culture that the leaders of the business need to drive to make sure that's not an issue. And, I, and then I think that, though, is irrespective of whether there's an online community or not, isn't it? You know, if I, I remember working with one client who um, who was saying, you know, yeah, but if we... Um, again, I said that in a British accent. Yeah, but <laughs> um, if, we, um, if we do this, we might hear all these things. Um, and I said, well, if you're not hearing all those things already... Then you're creating a culture. You you create you know irrespective whether you've got an online community or not. If you think that these things are being discussed and talked about, and then and you don't know about them already, then you've created a culture where people don't want to share and they're not open and it's not transparent and it's not honest. And so whether you know, whether you have an online community or not isn't going to make any difference. What no. you need to address is the 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 opportunities or the, the the places or the spaces where people can be heard and talk about stuff in a in, in a way that they're not going to be judged or ostracized or um, demeaned or disciplined as a result um, and then that allows everybody to then work with that effectively and, and for the better phrase move on yeah yeah certainly yeah and you, you, you're then the invited guest aren't you to that conversation if you if you don't have a way of people talking and sharing this stuff, then you're just the never invited guest. Mm. The conversation still happens. Yeah. Um, I think people will be more cautious around what they share online. And again, you know, that comes down to the trust and, you know, your simple strategy of, of hearing people in a safe space mm. that, that fits very much with this. Yeah. So where where does that um, where does that leave the community manager then? And so if if I play with this 
this idea that we're talking about that actually if we want those communities to be vibrant if we want people to be talking openly about you know and, and sharing and we are um right i'm going to take a step back and then i'll uh, and then i'll formulate my question so one of a, a really good friend of mine a guy called aaron garner um says that it's it's, it's just about and just makes it sound smaller than it is i don't know if he uses the word just actually he says it's about having a genuine interest in another human being yeah and if you can do that you are well on your way to um you know understanding more of about you them what's happening what's going on what they're thinking what they're feeling and all of those things and 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 i really like that as a simple phrase of if if we're going to create a community we need to create one that takes a genuine interest in another human being in that way and i liked what you talked about earlier on about you know, the way that you yes it might be an automated first response but then after that it's you know you taking a genuine interest in that other human being so i've got that on one thing so creating so we talked about creating communities where conversation is what happens part of that i would argue is down to having a genuine interest in another human being and wanting to find out what's happening going on for them and so on what they're thinking what they're feeling what they're working on all that stuff what we're also saying though is it it's it's in at least in part reliant on the culture now that could be the culture of the community if we're talking about the dpc community and the mission hub one but it also could be about the, the workplace itself if we were talking about a workplace based community so if you're and now i'm building up to my question then so if you're a community manager in an organization often you're if you have that role you would work in say you might be working in marketing or internal comms or hr or learning or organizational development as a that would be my guess as to where that person would would sit or fit you're you're not likely to be senior you're not likely to be on the board or or a director even um so with all of those other dependencies on it where does that leave you as a community manager because is it a bit of a thankless task no actually that other me trying to answer it so let me ask the question and shut up so where does that leave you as a community manager where does it leave in terms of not having that senior level yeah so so how do you influence the culture yeah absolutely so if you're you know you're 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 uh you're working in a yeah you're working as a in a mid to junior role within an organization where you're tasked with building a community and you're looking at these other dependencies around the culture or the leadership or the engagement or the involvement and you're like well shit yeah. <laughs> there's all this other stuff there's nothing to do with me yet can make or break this community that I'm trying to build I, th- I think it's it's the same old thing of chipping away at the block of of getting people to communicate converse and collaborate and that might start at a senior level Okay. That might actually start building a group of, I don't know, the senior leadership team and sharing stuff and talking about stuff and asking questions, getting conversation going online and offline as well. Yeah. So, you know, as you... As you so it's a little bit different in DPG in that, you know, we've got an external community, but we've also got an internal community. Yeah. If we can't get that bit right, there's not a, a chance that we do have a vibrant external community. Yeah. 
So the internal community for me is about letting people know inside the organisation what's going on. Yeah. You know, there's a really useful conversation here. I've got this idea that's coming up. You know, these people have joined. You know, somebody's given us some feedback. Whatever it is, yeah, yeah, just yeah. having that constant flow, and that then gets people interested in that internal community to the point that externally they're joining in the conversation, they're commenting, they're sharing, they're, they're liking the posting and things like that. So if you take that inside an organisation, maybe the place to start is with that senior leadership team mm. of, of getting things right there and letting them know about the stories of the great stuff that's happening. Yeah. Because I can imagine... I can imagine. I tell you, what, I'm I'm really worried that I'm being Mister Doom and Gloom now, but I can imagine though of, um, if in my oh. <laughs> should I say this? Should I not? Should I say this? Should I not? Um, if there is a population within an organisation that will use time as a reason or excuse, um, in my experience, it's that senior population uh, I haven't got time for that I haven't got time for that I haven't got time for that <laughs> and, 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 and you know I worry that I worry that I'm speaking out of turn um, and, and and that's not a universal statement you know I, I know there are there are some that wouldn't do that but I, I, I guess I'm thinking back to my experience of being within organisations and the the response I would get from, okay, so what I'm looking for from you is a post. It's for when people respond to that post for you to respond to them, even if that's just with a thanks or with a, um, you might, they might have asked a question and you follow up on it. Um, and, um, and, and then when you're on also contribute to other stuff as well. So it might be half an hour a day, you know, an hour to write the post, half an hour a day, um, or you, however long you can give me but but be on there regularly and check and so on is that something I can get my PA to do well yes but that's not what I'm getting at you know if we if we want if we want authentic interaction between you and other people that are in the organization we want to create this you know if we if you if if what you want is a place where we can understand what is happening and what people are thinking and feeling about working in our organisation, then that needs to be you and really you, not not your PA via you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what point I'm trying to make. I don't think. Um, I'm, I guess I'm. So it's the barrier of time, isn't it, from, yeah, from so the leaders in the business? Yeah, because I can, have, yeah, in my, in my experience, I guess, I agree with you that chipping away at the block and getting that engagement and involvement is important. But it can be really, I guess I'm maybe I'm just trying to be bring an element of reality to it. In that, I in in my experience, that has been notoriously tricky to do. Yes, I th- I, I think it. Uh, so Mike often talks about the five P's of building a community. Okay. The first one being purpose. Okay. And and he says that's where you start. You start with the purpose of your community. That's got to be lined into some organisational objective. Yeah. Or uh, around culture, engagement, collaboration, knowledge sharing, whatever it might be. I think once you've got that, it's then easy to bring the leaders back to that purpose. Okay. 
So we can all use the time excuse. Yeah. Sometimes I want to empathise with that, and sometimes I want to just say, just get a grip. You know, get a grip. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? We can spend five minutes somewhere on the settee at home if needs be, just chucking a few thank yous and a few replies mm. onto a community. And and if the purpose is strong enough, then that kind of makes that a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, if this is a really important purpose, then time will be found. So can you remember the other four Ps? Purpose? Um, in no particular order. Uh, so purpose, platform. Okay. As in, as in choosing the, the, the right slash appropriate platform for you that's it yeah yeah Yeah, it might be a bit of tech or it might be a platform as in venue if it's a yeah you know in real life community uh people yeah this is a real test this is i feel like i'm sitting an exam mike is sat there tapping his fingers fingers on the desk come on house and i don't think i've got time to google or anything have a people platform purpose uh products Okay. Product. So that's positioning, if you like, what the what the community is, what the what the product is, what okay. the community is about, What's what it do? does. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Is that five? That's four, but we'll go with four. <laughs> that's all right. Or we could press the pause button and you can get. <laughs> we could do. We can edit. We can edit out this bit <laughs> and then re-record it with you. Going, yeah, the five P's are. Yeah. Okay, that's Note right. to self, don't talk about things that aren't stuck firmly <laughs> in your mind. <laughs> okay, all right, so we've we've talked about um, some of the uh, some of the emotional aspects then that might be happening or going on for uh, individual community members themselves in terms of some of that um, potential nervousness about posting and sharing and that sort of stuff. We've talked about some of the emotional aspects that might be going on for community managers themselves. Um, and then we've also talked about some of the aspects that would that could or, or do feature into it from an organisational perspective, you know, talking about the senior leadership team in particular. Is there anything else then? Is there anything else that... Um, you know, talking about emotional work in uh, in managing communities or community management. Anything else that you're thinking or feeling or want to say? Other than we can probably fill another hour. <laughs> you want to come back on the podcast, don't you? That's what that, that, was, that, that was a plug for a second round. You know, I'm looking at the time now. I can't believe how quickly that hour's gone. You know, there's because there's so much to talk about. And it's, you know, this is... It's like you said, that emotion at work piece is massive. Mm. It's huge. And this is just a part of it. But then when you dive into the communities, there's plenty more to talk about. I I think it's just, you know, one by one, person by person, connecting with people, building a conversation, you know, and the masses will follow. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Okay. All right. In that case then, AD, the man, has... Um, I would like to say thank you so much for. Oh no, hang on, no, we need to stop. Can you press the Can you press the button again so the music comes in? Oh yeah, here we go. It's this one, isn't it? Yeah. There we go. So thank you very much, Amy House, for being on the Emotional Web Podcast. It's been amazing to have you here, and uh, we look forward to round two. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. You've been listening to the Emotional Work Podcast, written, recorded, and presented by Phil Wilcox. Edited together by Simon Leverton. 
You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at, at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening. Pied Piper. Of course. Pied Piper. The bloody community manager. Oh, how could we forget that person? <laughs> Sorry, there you go, listeners. You got all five, mate. <laughs>